and welcome back to CMO Conversations. I'm Trisha Gellman, the CMO of Drift, and I am joined today by Anthony Canada, who is the CMO at Hopin, a hyper-growth company that has totally taken off in the past year and a half, and we're going to have a really exciting conversation about the changes we've seen in marketing and, you know, in the world of marketing in the past year and a half. So, Anthony, at the beginning of the pandemic, you ran a CMO sort of coffee talk, like, let's learn from each other kind of thing, and it it totally blew up. I mean, maybe we could start by talking about why you started that and sort of what you think drove, like, the the huge success of it. Yeah, totally. So, it's almost hard to believe that was a year, almost 18 months ago now at this point. But I think really as COVID started being a thing, like or originally we heard about the virus kind of outside of the States and all of us, I think we're still kind of planning to run our marketing teams, you know, the same way that we would have otherwise. And there was a moment, I think it was February, March, we're in 2020, where we said, okay, this is, this is real. This is going to impact us quite significantly. I reached out to a lot of folks in my network and asked them, "How are, what's going on in your funnel today? Like, are you seeing leads slow down, like outbound? Like, is that still a thing? Like we're asking some of these very tactical questions. There's a pretty good chance for, for me to compare notes and, and, and better understand what others are seeing. And then it hit me that like, there actually aren't a lot of, like I, I was very privileged to have that community of people I could turn to at CMOs at, you know, at scale companies that there are many folks that might feel isolated or on an island that they don't have potentially that that network access that uh, that you know uh, I, I was fortunate to have. So it was a pretty simple idea. If I could find some other CMOs in my network to do a very informal, basically live stream where we just crowdsourced questions. There was zero prep. We just would show up and crowdsource questions in the audience, and we didn't have all the answers, but we were going through it together. You know, and it was a chance for us to compare notes as a community. So we ran that for, I think, about eight weeks or so and, and talked to amazing CMOs such as yourself, you know, folks from DocuSign and Outreach and all of these kind of great, great companies. And I think it was a, it was a really great opportunity, both at the time and, you know, I kind of wish we were still running it now. But, you know, conversations like this are, are, are great reminders that the marketing community as a whole definitely bands together in these moments and, and we learn from each other. And so excited to, to now be here and, and chatting with you. Yeah, that's great. I think one of the things like we could do a lot of talking about, like, what did we learn in the past 18 months? And like, what do we think will stay with us and continue? And I think this idea of sort of like community and like letting your guard down and just really sharing like, where am I? What am I learning? What am I sharing? Like, how can we all grow up together? I think, you know, it's just a great thing that I see continuing, you know, for a long time. And I'm so grateful to have the networks that I had started, you know, previously in my career, yeah. but that really, you know, have become like such rocks in, you know, in the past totally. 18 months. So one of the things that's interesting about that is like, you know, we have this like growth of community and you were at a totally different company. You were a CMO and then you switched now to Hopin. And I think it's interesting because like Hopin is something that has totally blown up in this time period as well. So yeah. how do you view sort of um, what's happened in the past year and like, why did you make the jump to Hopin? Yeah, totally. A lot there. So I, I uh, you know, I think my my journey to Hopin actually started at Gainsight. Uh, I was fortunate to be the the CMO there for about seven years. Built built that business, um, and for us, um, events were a core part of how we built that 
category, how we engaged our community, ultimately how we grew the, the business on a revenue side too. Um, it was sort of the, the nucleus of everything else that we did from a community and brand building perspective was this event program called Pulse. Um, and so after seven years at Gainsight, I actually left the company to start an event tech company. I had a lot of passion for, for this space and you know, was fortunate that the folks at Battery Ventures had me come in and, and start incubating that, that company. Turns out the founder journey, the entrepreneurial journey is a very lonely one. It wasn't for me. I, I, I missed being part of a team. And so I ended up joining the, uh, an amazing company called Front, where I spent uh, just, I think, about 15 months total um, kind of building that company, really nav- navigating um, COVID kind of with them um, as we were sort of figuring out kind of what, what, what this would become. And I think that was where we were doing our, our CMO uh, conversations. But that context, I think, helps paint the picture uh, when the opportunity to hop in came along it's more than a job for me, right? This was a, an industry I care so deeply about one that has been tremendously impacted, you know, with the pandemic and a chance to be a part of co-authoring, you know, with the community, the future of what uh, the event industry is going to look like. How are we all going to move forward? It was sort of a too good to be true type of moment. So join, join the business um, in uh, February of, of this year, been here for almost six months now. So Hopin has actually done something really interesting. Um, they saw this trend coming of how do you make events more inclusive and accessible to people who otherwise couldn't be there in person? And the story, uh, our founder's story is really what shaped this again, long before COVID, he contracted an autoimmune disease that kept him homebound for two years, two years. And as, as a founder, as an entrepreneur, you really rely on your community for things like meeting, you know, potential investors, meeting other founders, like these types of things. And he was completely on the other side of it. And so his whole profession was effectively halted while he was really battling this, this, this condition. And so he being a developer built Hopin as a tool to basically create immersive video and interactive video experiences for in-person events that don't treat the outside viewer like a second-class citizen. They're just as much in the room as someone that's physically there. So you can imagine the timing there of all all this happening just before COVID. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it's very insightful, right? But then like now to say, oh, it's insightful at the time that all of a sudden COVID takes off. It's crazy. Yeah, totally. Absolutely crazy. And for them, you know, they were you know, seed funded at that point, like raised, you know, raised a little bit of money. I think there were like five people at the company. Um, we're talking, by the way, 18 months ago. Again, this wasn't like a long time ago. And they were for- faced with this decision. We can either continue our effort of thoughtfully kind of scaling this business, you know, so on and so forth, or we can drop the waiting list and let everyone in and see what happens. And obviously, this was a season in, in, in the history um, of, of our industry where, everyone's on in-person event had to move online. Um, so they, they, they opened it up, uh, scaled as fast as they could and the rest is sort of history, um, you know, uh, from there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an amazing story. I actually, I didn't know the founder story. So thank you for sharing that. I don't know that yeah. everybody knows that they know like, Oh my God, there's this hopping company. Everyone talks about it, but they don't like maybe know the full background on it. And, and, and yeah. that, you know, I think, it's interesting because like pre pandemic, I had a friend who was having a baby and I was in charge of organizing her baby shower and yeah. she ended up in three months hospital bed rest. Oh my and gosh. so we canceled the shower. We're like, yeah. Oh, people can't get together. We're not going to have a shower. 
right, right. And like now, like looking back on it, it's like, holy cow, why were we so close minded about what we were doing? Totally. Like we could have had a virtual shower. I mean, Zoom and these other things were there, but yeah, it didn't yeah. even cross our minds. So the fact that the founder was really motivated to bring people together and to think about that from his personal journey is is really yeah. cool. I think, totally. you know, a lot of us, you, you've had experience working in hyper growth companies. What's interesting to me is that you're now leading marketing in a hyper growth company where the category you're in is actually changing dramatically, like every single month in a way that you could try and drive it. Like usually as CMOs, we're trying to drive like the category, the definition of it, but the event landscape is changing so much based on what's happening with the virus. So how do you manage sort of, you know, this idea of like, you're doing something, you're providing a solution, but at the same time, like what people need at any given time is like so dramatically undecided. Yeah, totally. So I think we, especially as I was coming on board to the company, the category that I think the market would have put us in was virtual events software. And, you know, there haven't been, it's pretty nascent, you know, there's some other kind of players now in the space, but in general, this was meant to be a a software category that suggested the tools that are just sort of utilitarian video are falling short from adding the interactivity and the immersiveness that uh, events kind of give us. And how can we create more of this sort of shared experience? And I think, you know, you know Hoppin was, you know, long before I joined, like the, the pioneer of this kind of new movement. However, that isn't our ambition at scale, right? I think there's much more of what we want to do. And, you know, a lot more coming, I think, in the news here, here shortly. But the big kind of moment that we saw was we, you know, th- this idea that virtual events will continue. And then you know, something we can unpack, but I think the, the idea of like your webinar strategy. And now that you have this access to, you know, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people who can attend your virtual event versus doing your in-person program in like a random city, like we're not going to forget about that as, as, as marketers, as demand marketers, like those are people we want to engage with, maybe community marketers. So we know that virtual will have a place in the stack and we want to honor that and, 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 and build for that use case. But we also know people will want to get back together in person. Um, and our belief is the sort of true north or the default setting for a lot of these in-person events in the future is going to be what we call hybrid events basically having both an on-premise, on-site, as well as a virtual component to it. So one thing we noticed in, you know, as the vaccines were coming out and all these types of things, people were starting to have this hybrid conversation. We've mobilized to really go from a, both a product perspective, from an M&A perspective, um, as well as from a marketing, more product marketing perspective, expand the category from virtual events to tell a broader story. So we uh, did this in a couple of ways. We acquired a company called Boomset, that many folks in, I think, the SaaS event space have known for a while that uh, does on-site uh, badging, on-site lead retrieval for, for sponsor booths. I'm sure uh, folks on this call have used a Boomset uh, app at some point. Uh, we've acquired them uh, and a few other solutions um, and sort of zoomed out from saying we're not just virtual events anymore. We are competing in the all-in-one event management category, a $1.7 trillion market. Um, where we can do anything from building your event marketing landing pages to accepting registrations uh, and, and charging tickets and integrating all that with Marketo and your marketing automation systems to uh, having your uh, in-person audience register and have the badge and all these types of things, get all that data collected, again, back into your, your uh, Marketo infrastructure. 
and have your virtual uh, event program using you know your, your a streaming kind of uh, service on the back end using Hopin's virtual venue. All of these things now give us a sort of all-in-one vision. So I think we have many steps on this path to expanding the category, but the first big one for us was not just being in the vir- a virtual events player, even though obviously we have you know good product market fit there, but zooming out and solving all of your event needs, regardless of whether it's virtual, in person, only uh, or hybrid or even internal events. As we think about people working from home, doing things like all hands meetings and workshops and team socials, how do we kind of really solve for that world um, in the future? So that's kind of, I think our, our, our next kind of step along, along the journey to building a much bigger category. Um, I love this idea of uh, the M&A activity, like helping to like redefine the category and really build from maybe like where you were, which is like, how do I actually make a virtual event to how do we yeah. actually like redefine events? And therefore yeah. like we need an entire platform for that. Have to make a plug for your GC, Irene. I oh, worked yeah. with her in my last role and she's an amazing female she GC is. leader. Um, and I know like she's been doing so many deals with you guys. Yes. It's just impressive like, how you've taken off on the M&A, but really interesting from the marketing perspective to think about how that helped you to, um, to grow the category. So one question I have for you about that is, you know, I mean, as a CMO, I'm thinking myself, like, what do my events look like in the future when I actually have in-person? And we've kind of debated, like, we definitely want to make sure that we're doing in-person and having an amazing experience for that, but then also, like, reaching these huge audiences, because we're now all addicted to this, like, borderless world where we can get thousands and thousands of people. From my perspective, it's very hard to cater an on-site event to like really be relevant and have that feeling for the virtual. So like from your perspective and how you guys are looking at the category and the platform, are you thinking that marketers are going to do like full on on the same day, I'm trying to reach my virtual audience and the in-person audience, or are you seeing that like people are recording content and then you're going to have your platform, which will be able to do like a spin up virtual after like what, what have you guys seen and how do you view that? Totally. I mean, I think in general, the answer is all of the above, right? I think everyone's going to have a different application of how their event formats will sort of evolve. You know, we have an in-person only event that that we're hosting for an executive audience that, you know, we think there's there's value to sort of the closed room discussion, like physically, you know, in, in a place. We have a virtual program we want to do quarterly and we have a webinar program that we do bi-weekly and webinars are kind of like have a bad rep these days, right? Because, or historically, because they're, a one-way window. There's no interactivity or immersion, and, and that's something that I think you know with Hopin we can kind of help help solve for. So I think like there's several ways to skin the cat. One thing that we tried doing in June was really testing ourselves to figure out what would a true like one-time live experience that had an in-person and virtual component look like, and we tested things like a fireside chat with somebody in a moderator in the room and a guest speaker on screen a panel that had two people in the room, two people virtual interactivity, people asking questions from the audience, whether they're there in the room or otherwise. And what we found is actually that was one of the best events that we've ever hosted. It was from an NPS perspective, some great qualitative feedback. So I think folks that want to do a truly one-time experience can do it in a way that there's, you know, a digital component as well as an in-person. The question is, you know, uh, you have to really fine tune the agenda around the format type. Because yeah. doing 45 minute panel after 45 minute panel, like all day on a virtual setting, 
we're used to that like Netflix type of, you know, 21 yeah, minute or whatever quick consumption. 20 minute content. So exactly. 45 minutes is like way too long. Totally. Yeah. So you have to adapt it for, for that audience. But the, I think that the idea is regardless of what you want to do, there are options for you. I and mean, like there's different, there's a different reason for all of these things to, to exist. The one thing that I, th- I find really interesting and companies like Salesforce are actually evolving Dreamforce um, to, to meet this kind of moment. It's the idea that like, what if you hosted a multi-site event around this like singular experience? Because watching a recording is really good and impactful and has a role, but being there during a live experience has this like much more profound, I think, kind of emotional meaning. And so what if you can create these types of experiences that have many cities around the world where you can bring in your sort of VIP customers and prospects. So call it, we have a hundred of our VIP customers in London and New York in, you know, on the West coast, maybe in, in Australia whatever. And you host a virtual event that has on-site activations for smaller audiences that are more high touch and, and that sort of thing. I think that's an interesting model that, you know, we're, we want to kind of keep a close eye on and, and figure out if that's a way to sort of act, get the community engagement at scale but then get also the in-person intimacy from some of your most kind of high value customers or prospects. Yeah. I think that that's really interesting. You know, I spent nine years at Salesforce and so community is a big part of Salesforce. And when we used to do launches, you know, way back then, let's say six years ago, we actually would do like community hosted events. We would send like a community leader, like a full on package with like swag and everything else and, and try to get together as many like little like multi-city activities for, you know, a decent sized launch, um, different yeah. than like the main Dreamforce thing that they're doing today. To bring it sort of full circle to where we started, like, you know, you started with the CMO coffee talk, building this idea of community. Now you've mentioned that, you know, people are doing these multi-site activities, which brings together community. Um, and you mentioned really quickly that people are using Hopin for community. So yeah. it seems this is a theme, right? Like we have yeah. been isolated for so long that people want to be connected to community, whether it's in person or virtually. So yeah. How are people using Hopin to like actually bring communities together versus thinking of it as an event? Yeah, totally. My gosh, this is such an important topic and, and one that's close to my heart, um, even outside the context of Hopin, but just as, as a marketer. And we've, again, COVID accelerated this trend, but we were talking about community and brand and building relationship with our, our market long before this happened. But I think there, there was a lot of uh, limitations to, to our ability to actually execute that, that vision. One was technology and, and companies like Hopin have helped with that. Um, another is geographic barriers. Um, you know, we, we want to host a, a world tour for our, our event and you pick your, your favorite six cities, but then the rest of the cities are alienated from that. Um, we have subsets of our audience that can't actually be there in person, whether it's illness, family responsibility, financial uh, reasons, like what have you, travel visas. Like there's all of these reasons why members of our community have not been able to engage. So I think that's where this is an exciting new world. It's honestly like a renaissance for us from a marketing perspective on how can we actually think community first and build community first and then have everything else in terms of demand and all these other things we have to do kind of flow out from that motion. So um, I think the way we need to do this, and I'll, I'll, I'll plug hop in uh, in a second, but is to think about our 365 you know day kind of vision for building a community engagement Um so what does that mean? We might, and Drift does such a good job with this, right? With Insider and with you know podcasts just like this, 
you guys have become the lifestyle brand for people that are in the, the sales and marketing function. They they subscribe to your content. They come to your event, you know, programs, digital or otherwise. Uh, they listen to the podcast, and you kind of help serve them and create value for them outside of just selling them software. And I think that's the kind of the mega trend is like, how can you put together that media company effectively that you're building on top of your your software business that creates all of these types of engagements for you? So the vision behind Hopin, I think, or a part of it at scale is we think that uh, our technology, um, as well as our thought leadership, our community efforts, everything that we're building can help people um, feel closer. They can feel closer to the conversations that they care about, to the communities that they care about, and that geographic uh, barriers that existed in the path in the past that limited their access to opportunity, like should no longer be a thing in this new world that we're now emerging into. Um, and so, you know, you can think about what is the data set that exists uh, underneath all of your different, all these different things that we talked about, all these different engagement programs, be they uh, a um, virtual events and in-person events, a live stream that you're hosting with your audience, a, you know, virtual workshop that you host, a maybe online community even that you that you moderate and for your folks, all of these different touch points and one kind of underlying system. I think that's kind of part of the vision for where we're headed. That's really cool. So I think um, what would be interesting is maybe to help people understand a little bit more about building community. So you mentioned that, you know, Drift has a really big community. And I think one of our big things is that we pride ourselves on like educating sales and marketers yeah. about like the future of marketing. And, and so we've taken the approach that we're defining this new category and therefore we need to help bring you there. And that's sort of our thing, which is like we're going to create great content. It's not just going to be content for the sake of like, oh, I did 27 eBooks, but like you really learn things from the content, right? I think in other cases, like I've done user group communities where you kind of go into the field and you find out what is it that the teams need. And then you bring the content to them to help them kind of learn and grow locally and things like that. Like, you know, what's your perspective? Like you wrote a book on category creation, like to create a category and then build a communicate community around that. Do you have to lead like Drift is doing or are there other models and ways that you've seen for building community? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think the, whether you're creating a category or you're disrupting an existing one, I think the, the underlying strategy beneath it, um, let's call it brand, like brand building. And it's sort of the difference between creating or disrupting, I think, is just sort of where you're spending, where you're focusing a lot of your effort. In the case of category creation, you've identified a problem that exists in the market that no one else has before. And so you're spending a lot of time defining the problem, evangelizing the problem, getting your customers to say, oh, yeah, that is a problem. Um, and you can point to, you know, again, Drift is one of the classic examples, you know, Gainsight did. We talked about churn. No one was talking about churn. Everyone's talking about closing net new deals. And we said, this is a problem. We need to get proactive with customers and so on. Um, when you're disrupting a company, uh, uh, disrupting a category, typically the problem set is understood. And so in general, what you're doing is positioning a new solution. But in either of those cases, you need to sort of take this posture of educating a market, of build, uh, uh, mobilizing a community of people who... Uh, either identify with the problem that you've proposed or the solution and the new sort of uh, approach to the solution that you're proposing. And that can, you know, feel valued from you through your, and, and that they've learned something from you as a brand, regardless of whether or not they're a customer. Um, and that ultimately can play it back to you, that they can validate 
two things. One, that the problem you've observed or the solution you're proposing are real and that you as the brand are the thought leader that's helping, that's leading the market and leading the conversation and the discussion in this category. So the underlying tactics beneath this are the same. Content marketing strategy, to your point, building the online blog or blog is such a bad term these days, like the the editorial property or whatever, um, you know, like Salesforce plus, like following that news, like building a streaming service around education for your community. Like this is powerful and by no means a small feat. Uh, Doing your events and building your event strategy around that, all of the different um, tactics uh, underneath it are frankly existential to your ability to exist as a brand in 2020, like, or in, in, in this decade, like you, you can't not do that. So I think that's the, um, the opportunity going forward, regardless of whether you're creating a category or not, but, um, certainly there are nuances. Yeah, I think that that's really cool. So, you know, we're building these communities, we're building these categories, we're like creating whole new dialogues and saying, you know, like, there's something bigger, you have a problem, we're solving it. In the end of the day, I think like all of this is in the service of building the company, not just building the community, but tying back to revenue. And so like, let's talk a little bit about like, how does this relate as CMOs to revenue and, and the relationship that we have with sales? I think this is such an important uh, question, Trisha, because I because uh, you can get a lot of retweets for saying something about category creation or, or it's along those lines, but the rubber hit, hits the road with your CFO, with your CEO, with the board. If you can actually like show the path to monetization, show that all of this stuff actually turns into revenue, um, and the good news is it does. Uh, but I think it's it's something that uh, uh, we need to be pretty explicit on how uh, as we kind of build build the case for content marketing for hosting a large conference, all these types of things. So the philosophically, I think that things like paid media, you know, things like, you know, buying lists and doing this type of stuff, it's important. We have to do it. Like it's table stakes as demand marketers to make sure that we're being thoughtful and responsible and monetizing in that way. But they're also, you're sort of like starting that relationship with a, with a customer, with a prospect rather transactionally. Uh, they were searching for your competitor and they happened upon your landing page, right? Or something along those lines. They saw a banner ad and they couldn't help but click. And these are sort of like transactional, but important, you know, uh, ways to start relationships. But if you find, if you're able to attract an audience that is engaging with thought leadership content that comes to your events, that is coming, that thinks about you and your brand as again, a, a, a convener, a market leader, a place that I can go and learn for free and get value and, and grow in my career. Uh, you're starting from a very uh, uh, scalable and important uh, place in that, in that sort of customer journey. And what we found at Gainsight, those are the customers that end up renewing, that end up being you know, engaged as advocates that are referring their own customers. Uh, and when they go on to to, to their next job, they're kind of bringing you in um, into into that that new company. So I think the relationship based marketing is is a scalable way to like. And, and if I said another way, brand building, community building is a scalable way to drive demand over the long term. It takes time though, and I think that's where you know when you got a number to hit and and you know in this quarter, it's very hard to sell the vision of an SEO strategy that takes time and sell, sell that vision. And so you need to do the paid media stuff and all of these things to kind of like bridge the gap for that long term. But I found that nothing has been more 
sustainable and scalable from a demand creation perspective than building a content marketing strategy and event program, all of these different things that we kind of bubble up into community. Um, so that, that's, I think the, the, the piece. Now, how do you sort of tell that story? I mean, I think you need the, the funnel metrics you need to, to show, you know, Hey, we're growing our newsletters, uh, uh, subscriptions, you know, number of insiders, you know, that, that have signed up this month has, has grown, you know, X, Y, Z, we're now nurturing those folks. We're, you know, generating MQLs out of that, that audience, like all that type of stuff. Um, so you can kind of, you know, build a bridge from an early stage funnel perspective to how that content is then driving, you know, downstream revenue. But, you know, I think that, that it's, it's becoming kind of the default setting now for marketing companies where, or for B, even for B2B companies where maybe a couple years ago was sort of like this novel thing, but now it's like, we all have to do this or, you know, you're, you're just not gonna be relevant. Yeah. I think that that's really interesting. Now, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, tweeting and building community. So recently you tweeted about the relationship of sales <laughs> and marketing and, and how marketers are really um, needing to learn a lot about servant leadership. And so yeah. um, let's talk specifically, like not, you know, so much as like our role as marketers in building the brand and the community, but in the relationship that we have with sales and really, you know, translating things into revenue in partnership with sales. Like how have you been doing that when in a way I would think that like, Hopin is like so in the right place at the right time. Like maybe it's not as important that you have this great relationship with sales because there's a lot of product led growth. There is, there is, but I, I think, um, I think in general, this is sort of one of the those truisms that exist regardless of of what you know any company really. Um, and it's a controversial point of view because a lot of people are like, hey, you know, marketing isn't meant to be a service organization to another company, another team like that. That feels weird uh, to think about. I want to be empowered. And, you know, I think, I think true empowerment, you know, comes to those that are willing to sacrifice and those that are willing to put others before themselves. So I, I think I disagree with, with the notion that um, by isolating ourselves as a team, we're going to be somehow better or more respected. Um, the tweet was that when it comes to marketing's data versus sales's word, or perspective or opinion, sales will always win. From the board's perspective, from the CEO's perspective, they will take, they will side with the sales team's point of view over marketing's data. I learned this the hard way. And I think many of us have have over time where uh, you know, in a previous life, I've come up with a great report and pulled the right things and out of Salesforce and Drift and, and Marketo and all of our tools and said, look, marketing is generating early stage pipeline, we are hitting our numbers. The problem is when the SDRs send the pipe over, it's not converting. So I want to, I looked and guess what? I looked at the activity data. We're not following up fast enough. Our emails are not good. We only have one touch, like one touch conversation, <laughs> right? Like we talk about this and I was like, ha got it. I'm right. I found the data. And the problem with that is you bring the data to the sales leadership or whatever you come into the, the pipeline call or whatever. Um, and sales says, look, that could be true. But at the end of the day, you know, our, our coverage for the quarter is off and here's what we're learning. And, you know, maybe those conversations, like they're not getting back to us. Right. Or those conversations, um, you know, they were tire kickers. We're like, yeah, but we had Bant, like they made it through Bant, like they weren't tire kickers. And 
ultimately when the CEO comes in as a, as a tiebreaker, it doesn't matter to him. Like ultimately, like what we could be saying could be true, but it's not translating to revenue. And then th- that's a problem. And the charter. Yeah. And I mean, for this owning is my the- big point of like, what is our role? Like we have to step up to think about the revenue because if you're in this conversation and you're finger pointing and you're on the sort of like leads and I filled the funnel and the CRO or whatever the title is, is on the like, yeah, but I'm not making the number for the board. But it's just like, if you're not saying my role is to help make the number for the board, you're always going to be second. Totally. Totally. If you find yourself, you have any quarter where you're ringing the gong as a marketing or SDR team, but sales misses the number, like you should really think about that, right? And think about whether or not that gong needs to be hit <laughs> or effectively yeah. like, like, you know, really unpack kind of, you know, what, what, what's happening underneath the hood, because that's what I think has led to sort of, you know, potentially some continued friction between marketing and sales. But this idea of us being kind of one revenue team and kind of wearing the revenue hat together Honestly, like just from my experience and maybe others share this, but it's not going to come from sales listening and doing whatever marketing tells them to do. <laughs> like it's not, it's going to come from us going, taking like a, a posture of humility and going to sales and saying, what can we do to help support you in hitting the target? We have some ideas. Um, you know, we have some insights uh, that we can bring to the table, but ultimately we want to, we want you to know that we're with you. We're here to help support you. And you, when you win, we win. And if you bring that posture, not only will you get the better outcomes from a, from a business perspective, but the relationship, which you know we long talk about in terms of marketing sales alignment, the relationship between you as a marketing leader and your sales leader is in a much better, more constructive and collaborative place than, than it would be otherwise. Yeah, I totally agree. And it's interesting that you sort of, you know, built um, Gainsight and like created this concept of uh, customer success as well, because, you know, one of the other things that I see is that, you know, today, especially in so many SaaS companies, revenue isn't just about the new business and how do you fill that funnel for the SDR, but it's about like the relationship of marketing with sales, with CS, with whatever titles you have that are really owning new business expansion and um, that renewal. And so I think this idea of, you know, having the revenue focus that also puts you on a customer focus because you really have to start thinking like, what is this life cycle versus like, just how do I fill a funnel? Totally. Completely agree. Yeah. You can sub out sales with like your CS leader, whoever in that, that same, same topic. Or that same that same kind of perspective. Totally agree. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things that we've been doing at Drift in that vein is we um, and you kind of mentioned this, but we've like literally been talking about building the revenue machine. And so you're not finger pointing as like, oh, I'm bringing you this and you're bringing that, but it's like, how have we filled this bucket? Yeah. And like, what are all the pieces that are coming into yeah. the bucket? Is it expansion? Is it the renewal? Is it the new business? Like, where is it going to come from? And then which team like really like needs to pull which lever um, as like a one team, one dream get together? Totally. Yeah. No, I think that's awesome. A vision we bought into, we're excited. Uh, you know, we've kicked off with Drift two months ago, I think at this point, and already seeing like a tremendous impact to, to our funnel and of course our conversations with, with our our sales teams and sales development and everyone. So truly uh, buy into the vision. And I think it's something that, you know, is going to help shape kind of where we, how we grow the company from here moving forward. 
I love that. And we're really excited to have you as a company. And we've also seen that with your acquisitions that, you know, it's helping to bring Drift into other companies as well as you start to like build together yeah. this all in one platform, which is, um, which is great. So where are you going to go from here? I mean, it feels like it's so successful already. Um, you, I think have really like set yourselves apart in sort of that virtual event space to this like all in one platform that's kind of doing everything. Like, you know, where do you see Hopin going? Where do you see marketing going as it kind of like follows along in terms of what Hopin can offer? Like, what's the future? Totally. So, um, I'd say there's probably three things that uh, maybe four uh, that were buckets of things that we're really focused on. First, hiring. Missing great marketers listening, they're looking for a, a job. Please uh, let me know. I joined in February as the fifth marketer. You know, we're doing this interview at uh, the end of August. There's 45 of us now. We've got 40 people in those five months, and we'll be at 65, I believe, at the end of this quarter. So we're growing the marketing team quite a bit, which hopefully is going to be helpful to you know to be able to execute. Uh, second is we're sort of rearticulating our our brand narrative. Um, the world knows us today as an events company. We spent, you know, the majority of our conversation today referencing Hopin as an events company, but through our M and A, through our, our organic product development, is actually a much bigger story that we're telling that we want to tell. So part of that will be, you know, we're, we're going to share a bit of our sort of renewed purpose as a company uh, in September, and then almost like a rolling thunder approach from there. You're going to be seeing much more from us in terms of you know, new visual identity and logo and you know, new website. And then all of this sort of refresh articulating our, our multi-product story going even beyond the events use case. Um, so that's probably the second big, big focus. Um, third is the sort of, all right, so what category is this then? Uh, if you take events and all of these different things, like what is that bigger category? You know, and I think there might be a category creation play for us, just that there aren't a ton of incumbents that are really kind of telling this sort of story. So can't quit it. Uh, I can't run away from it. I, I, <laughs> despite my, my attempts to, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to create a category, I think here. Um, and then finally, I think for this audience too, and just the latter part of our conversation to grow. So we grew from in these 18 months from zero to a hundred million of ARR across our, our portfolio. Um, we want to grow, you know, much, much faster. And a lot of that came from, you know, inbound direct kind of, kind of lead flow. Um, and our job is to actually go out and create a lot more demand, not just fulfill it. Um, and so we're building the revenue engine, you know, I mentioned bringing drift on board and several other, other tools, um, to actually go and, um, do what all of you are doing, right. Evangelize this problem that, that we've, that we see in the market, um, building the right tool set and processes and rules of engagement with our friends in sales to monetize, you know, that, that intent, um, and hopefully to grow the company in a more predictable you know, way over, over the long term. So I think it's those three things, hiring brand and demand are, are the three big buckets for us um, uh, right now. Well, I think it's been really impressive. I, um, early in the pandemic, I actually did um, some uh, webinars and conversations with your investors um, and spoke about sort of like, you know, what's going on in the virtual space and really Hopin was um, on my radar based on some uh, third party events that I participated in. So it's been great to watch you guys grow. It was exciting to see Irene go over, then to see you go over. Yeah. There's like so many like great people that are like building out the team over there. Um, so just really exciting. Um, and especially I think a great story on like just the ability to be sort of multinational, right? Because at first yeah. 
everyone thought, well, oh, Hopin is this a European startup, and like now there's so many leaders like across all the different geographies. Yeah, yeah. So it just really makes like a big play for you know what the power is of sort of remote work and virtual, and and how everybody can learn and grow together. At I mean. At hyperspeed, right? I mean, like, we wouldn't have thought of doing this before. So that's really cool. Um, I think, you know, you just touched on this idea of hiring. And one of the things that um, I also do besides this podcast is I have a newsletter. Um, it's called The Path to CMO 3.0. And every once in a while, we do um, a guest Q&A. And I think it would be great to follow up with you on a guest Q&A on hiring. How have you built that hiring engine? How do you attract the talent? Because, you know, in the past six months, I've hired 24 people, but that's half as many as you've hired. That's crazy. Um, and then you're saying you're going to be at 60 by the end of like three quarters. So, uh, yeah, I think there's a lot that we could share and just like, you know, written Q&A in the newsletter. Um, but anything else you want to um, include in this podcast before we wrap it up? No, that's great. I mean, honor to, to be a part of it and be invited. And, you know, I think like we opened saying, this is a this is a community that, that, you know, I, I care deeply about. And I think one that has served, um, such an important role in my life. Um, me being on the listening end as well as, you know, being, uh, being a participant like this. So, um, excited to see kind of where we go from here and, you know, looking forward to co-authoring the future of, of event marketing together and everything else that, you know, that, that is sort of coming on the community side and brand building and, and all that sort of stuff. Okay, so when as we wrap up, I have one final question. It's the same question I close with every time. And that is like, what is the like biggest lesson that you think you've learned in your marketing career that you would want to share with our audience? Yeah, and uh, we talked about a little bit earlier too, like people, relationships are the the human capital or the capital, excuse me, um, that matter most in our careers, whether it's the the people that took a chance on us early in our career and you know making sure that we, uh, value those relationships and maintain them and, and, you know, find ways to, to pay it forward when we're on the other end of it. Right. When we, you know, we've sort of have, have seen some success in our career and you have other folks that want to buy you a cup of coffee or pick your brain. Like these are the types of things that, um, I think are existentially the way that folks can make career, the folk that way that folks can build really, uh, you know, uh, relationships, even outside of the, the work setting. And it's one of the most enriching parts of, of the journey for me. Um, and relationships like this, like with, you know, folks in our network, other CMOs and folks, other marketing leaders that we're able to lean on, um, the tough times and good. So the value of relationships, uh, would be my, uh, my big learning in my career. That's excellent. And now, um, if people want to build a relationship with you, where should they find <laughs> you? Is it your Twitter handle? Is it LinkedIn? Like where yeah. would people want it? Should they reach out to you? Yeah, who knows? They all connect to my phone. So whatever, uh, whichever path uh, you would like, uh, Twitter, it's A Canada, LinkedIn, my name, um, you know, Instagram, it's a lot less, a lot more boring, but you know, you can see family photos and, and stuff there. Uh, but yeah, would love to connect. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. And thank you, audience, for joining us. I think this has been a great discussion. So many great nuggets in terms of, you know, building categories, building teams and like building successful businesses. Um, if you 
love this podcast, please share it with others. Please give us a six-star rating. And as I mentioned, I have my newsletter as well. So please join us um, in the conversation, whether it's in the newsletter and email or whether it is here in the podcast or, you know, even find me in LinkedIn and let me know some other topics and things um, that you would love to hear across my communications. So thank you so much, Anthony. And thank you to the listeners. Thank you.